If you have your Bibles, could you turn to Romans chapter 12, please? Romans 12, you look at verse 9 and following. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you've granted us and given to us this day. You've blessed us with your word. You've poured out your spirit to give us eyes that see and ears that hear so that we might receive. So that we might walk in life. Father, help us to understand Help us to understand your word. Help us to understand our calling. Help us to understand what it is we're to be doing in the world, how it is we're to fight, how it is we're to be the church, extending your kingdom in the world. Grant us grace this morning. Pour out your blessing, for we ask it in Christ. Amen. Well, I recently saw the latest Hobbit film. I don't know how many of you guys have as well. But I was at the theater, and it was, it was a matinee, and it was fairly packed, actually. And it had already been out for a couple weeks. And you look around, and you watch these people and everybody into this movie. And it's quite fascinating, actually, to me. I just kind of have to look around and say, wow, um, we love this kind of thing. We love movies with clear bad guys, good guys. There's a conflict, and there's war, and there's battles, and there's action, there's overcoming, and there's conquest, and there's winning, and, well, this one's a little disappointing because of how it ended, but it was a total setup. (laughs) But if there's anything that should be evident, it's that we love battles, and we love to win. And what's amazing also is how we quickly, vicariously identify ourselves. We, we side with the good guys, and we're going along with them. And we, we're not in it, but we kind of are in it. And we get involved, and we're, we're engaged, and, and it's something that's not even, you know, it's not even real. And we're emotionally invested in these things. And we're just absolutely in love with this kind of stuff. And you can see it especially also in the whole sports realm. We all attach ourselves, well, most of us anyways. No, I shouldn't say all. It's being presumptive. Uh, we, we attach ourselves to a sports team, and when we do that, what we're doing is we, we're connecting with them, and we, it's almost as if we are on the field also. We're involved in the battle. We love to see the battle, and we love to come out as winners. And right now, there's a huge following behind the Seahawks because they're winners, and everybody gets on the bandwagon, right? And we just, we're going, we want to watch the Hawks, go Hawks, everybody's into it. And we just love the battle, and most importantly, we love to win the battle. If we can be on the winning side, we're into it. And so, when you look at this, it's kind of a universal. The question is, where does this come from? Why are we like this? Well, this has to be a part of the image of God within us. We're given a call at the very beginning, Genesis 1, to go and take dominion over the earth and subdue it and, be it and rule it and govern it. And so man has always been interested in ruling, governing, conquering. Conquest is kind of our thing. 
We want to conquer. We want to win. We want to, we want to be victors. However, there's a problem. Ever since the fall, this has dramatically been perverted. We found ourselves in bondage to sin, subject to Satan, and destroyed by death. And as a result, we pervert and twist our calling. And instead of glorifying God and beautifying the earth, we cheat, murder, lust, and destroy to win, to be on top, to conquer. However, the story didn't end there, did it? Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up, and he did so to overcome the greatest powers on earth, to conquer, to truly win, to be the great deliverer, the savior of the world. This morning I titled this sermon the way I did, The Desolation of Smaug, because of the latest Hobbit movie, but more importantly because of its connection to what I'm going to say this morning. I believe that the title of that movie is exactly connected to what it is we're to be about in the world. Jesus has already set us free from the dominion and rule of Smaug. But Smaug still goes about like a roaring lion seeking to devour whom he may. And our Lord gave us a mission. He just didn't rip us from this earth, saving and delivering us like this. He saves and delivers our souls and leaves us here. And he leaves us here with a mission. It's to go and bring his liberation to the nations, which also requires the desolation of Smaug. This is what it requires of us. And for those of us who are unfamiliar with this Hobbit movie and all the rest and the whole name Smaug, He's a dragon. He's a dragon in the movie who just lusts and devours and destroys. He's much like the great dragon of old in Scripture, the serpent, Satan. Yet you know something? When I look around in the church in America, I would have to say, when it comes to the battle, when it comes to the mission, when it comes to what's going on, would you agree with me? It seems like we're losing. Our heads are left spinning as fornication, adultery, homosexuality, murder, greed, perversion, and corruption. Don't they seem to be on the rise? In a lot of ways, I think the, the church is like punch drunk Ali. I don't know if you guys, certain, this, will, this will cancel out certain eras and, and help us to realize the era, there was, uh, the era of Ali was known for his rope-a-dope. And Ali would get so punched out, and so he's basically out on his feet. There were a couple times in the figure he was, and he would just be rolling off the ropes as Foreman is just laying it to him, and he's, he's delirious. He's, they figured he's out, and somehow he's able to stay standing. And sometimes I think that's a wonderful picture of what the church can feel like at times. We're losing. We're this far, far from going down. We're in trouble, and it's scary. 
And so often you can tell that we don't know what we're to do. We don't know how we're to act. We don't know what it is we're to be about. What should we, what should be, even though we know our mission, what should we be doing? And the reason we could tell we're not exactly sure what we should be doing, what we should be about, is because all you have to do is look at our responses to what the world is doing, what's happening out there, all the sin, all the corruption, and everything that seems to be on the increase, and then watch the church respond. Look at Facebook, Twitter, look at blogs, and watch what we do. How do we engage the battle? Depending on what we do reveals how we think we ought to fight. How should we engage? How do we advance the borders of God's kingdom? How do we get involved in this mission? What are we to be about? That's the great question. And you realize this, we've got to keep this in laser sharp focus. And even as we start a new year, and we, as the church, we look forward and we say, what should we be about this year? What should be our mission? Well, on the, on the big, broad scale, we know we need to be about God's kingdom and advancing it over all the earth. We need to see God's kingdom advance throughout the city of Linwood and all of Seattle area. We, that's what we're to be about. That is our, our grand purpose and goal, is to advance this kingdom throughout the earth, the desolation of Smaug, right? The question is, how do, we go, how do we go about that? How do we engage? How do we fight? Romans 12 gives us some good clues. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle is exhorting the church in regard to how they should live among one another and in the world in order to conquer, in order to overcome evil. In 12.9, he begins this exhortation towards the church and he says this, let love be genuine. And then he's tell, he starts talking to how they're to conduct themselves within the household of God. And then he moves on in verse 14. You can see he's also talking about how it is that we should conduct ourselves amongst those who hate us, the world in which we live. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who le- uh, weep. Live in harmony with one another. And at the end of this, he, talk, he says this. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but what? Overcome evil with good. A key passage, a key verse, I should say, in this particular passage. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And these are, so there's two sections, there's two basic components to this here. How it is we're to live amongst one another and how it is we're to live amongst the world. Here is the power. Here is the victory of the church. And it isn't through laws or the establishment of new ones or, the, or for us to panic and say, oh no, they've thrown out the Ten Commandments here now. It isn't through a power takeover. You know, if all we had was some control, if we could get into government and offices of power and make decisions and change things, things would change. It isn't through picketing or protesting or showing the world that we are opposed, we disagree, we, you continue to do this and you will burn in hell. 
It isn't through handing out literature or through us telling the world that what they're doing is so, is so wicked. How does we overcome evil? How do we engage in the fight? How do we advance the borders? First of all, I want us to see that it's through us reaching out in love to the lost in our community. This is, this is really something we have to see here. If you look at verse 14, this is where he says, Bless, how, how, what should you do with those who persecute you? Now think about this. He says, look what he says in verse 14. What should you do with those who persecute you? He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. He's giving us a code of conduct. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, what should you do? Verse 18. Live peaceably with all. Brothers, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what should you do? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is how it takes place. As Francis of Assisi once said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Do you realize that this, it's not in vain to seek to reach out in love to those who are unlovely, Our actions are never in vain. They produce great fruit. In fact, he says, even even to those who hate you, your enemies, the persecutors of you, those those who don't want to do anything good towards you, manifest the power of the gospel to them and love them as God has loved you. And then he, what he, listen to what he says. He encourages them, knowing that, you know, you don't ever want to do something that's totally useless. You know, what's the point, right? He says, never avenge yourself in 19, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. He says, in doing these things, when we feed them, we clothe them, we give them something to drink, what is it that happens when we do that? It says something will happen. For in doing so, end of verse 20, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, that sounds like a very negative thing, right? The question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to heap burning coals on someone's head? It's like, wow, yeah, I just get to torture them. What does it mean? Well, I read several commentaries on this particular verse because it is kind of one of those verses that cause you to scratch your head, isn't it? It's like, what does that mean? It's like, what's he getting at? But I thought Barnes' commentary was the best, and he said this, Coals of fire are doubtless 
emblematical of pain. But the idea here is not that in so doing we shall call down divine vengeance on the man, but the apostle is speaking of the natural effect or result of showing him kindness. Burning coals heaped on a man's head would be expressive of intense agony. So the apostle says that the effect of doing good to an enemy would be to produce pain. But the pain will result from shame, remorse, of conscience, a conviction of the evil of his conduct, and an apprehension of divine displeasure that may lead him to repentance, end quote. So it comes across, or came as, as a way, not as a way, it's not intended for us to be a way of heaping, like, final judgment upon them in the end. It's not so that, oh, what you're doing is you're just piling up burning coals, and in the end, there will be a great destruction for them. And then it'll, it'll be great, because what you did is you just toasted them. That, that's not the idea primarily. Even though in the end, let's just assume they continue to harden their hearts and, and perform evil, there will be a greater judgment for them because they'll, they'll, be, they'll be doing such wickedness against good. However, that's, even though that's true, that isn't the point here. Of This is a present tense activity. When you're doing it, while you're doing it, at that moment, you're heaping burning coals on their heads. Again, this emblematic of pain. And what kind of pain is he referring to? Well, when there's, pain, there's, there's internal pains of conscience. We, in other words, we intensify the conviction that they feel. And when the Spirit intensifies the judgment and conviction they feel, it often leads to what? It often leads to repentance. When there's an intensification of what you're doing is wrong and evil, it's often used by God to turn people's hearts and cause them to look at themselves. So... The actions that we have that are leading to the heaping of coals on somebody's heads, we're not to think of this primarily as some, what we're doing is we're building up for a great final judgment, but rather we're building up for a present judgment upon them so they feel the conviction of their sin in the present condition so that they might be led to repentance. And this is, where you, this is why you get this final statement in verse 21. Do not become, be overcome by evil, but overcome that evil. Overcome it by doing good. In a military campaign, one country is seeking to focus is seeking to focus on the most effective way of overcoming their enemy and gaining the victory. Right? That's what they're trying to do. This one wants to beat this one. They have determined they determine the best kind of weapons and the best kind of attack to use to beat the enemy. That's what you do in military. Endeavor. Just like in World War II, what did Eisenhower do? Eisenhower developed a plan for D-Day. And in that plan for D-Day, he established a position in which he wanted to enter on the beach in order to establish that beachhead, in order to um, advance the troops and eventually win the war. Massive plan. He had troops. He had he had all kinds of military equipment and weapons, and he, and he went in and he established that beachhead. And it led to the ultimate the beginning of the victory of the war. Yet everything he used in that particular setting, in that particular environment, 
Everything you're used, the enemy had the same thing. The enemy had tactics, the enemy had weapons, and the enemy had troops. So they're two equal armies fighting one another, and the only difference is depending on how greater the other one is. And, and it's kind of the, it always comes down to me, the best man win, as they say, and who's on, who, depending on whose side God is. But here's the difference, something that we have to understand. In the war that we fight, the war that we fight in order to advance the borders of the kingdom, it's not like the war in the world, wars in the world. It's completely contrary in so many ways. Do you imagine if you were in a military battle and you had weapons that were unstoppable? You had... These weapons that if you, you know, if you were to push the button, the war would be over in, a, in so many ways. People just start falling and they're overcome, they're overtaken. If you had that ability, you would, you would rejoice and you'd use it immediately. Now, if we come now to, to what we're talking about here and what Jesus has done and what he's given the church and the tasks he's given us to do and the weapons of our warfare, knowing that they're not carnal, but they're mighty in the Lord for tearing down strongholds. But they're not carnal. They're not physical. They're not like, his kingdom is not of this world. It's not like the stuff of this world. So it's, here's what's so amazing about it. It's uber powerful. It can overcome and destroy. Yet, it's contrary to our thinking about how we'd actually go about doing it. It doesn't make sense to our flesh. For example, when we think of overcoming somebody, we immediately think of power, don't we? If you want to, if you want to overcome, if you want to rule, if you want, if you want to be in charge, what do you do? You exert power. Show me one one example in this world where, in worldly arenas, that is not the case. And yet Jesus comes along and he says stuff like this: "You want to be great, you have to become weak." That's the opposite. The opposite. He says here that if you want to overcome evil, you don't flex your muscles and you don't attack. You actually do what's the opposite. And it's contrary to your flesh. You do what is good. You seek their good. Wait a second. Let me get this straight. When somebody's doing me harm, evil, persecuting, I'm to do them good? Jesus says, yes. That doesn't make any sense. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in the Lord for tearing down strongholds. This is why the church gets this messed up all the time, because it's contrary to our flesh. If we want to engage in the world, if we want to see God's kingdom advanced, if we want to be a part of what God is doing in the world and see evil overcome, how do we do that? We have got to be reaching out in love, reaching out in love to the lost in the world, seeking their good, seeking to bless those who persecute us, seeking to do good to our enemies. And in doing that, God uses that to triumph over them. And it's really powerful. The problem is, it's really hard to do because, A, you cannot do it apart from the Spirit. And, B, it, it, it messes with us all the time. 
because according to our own understanding, it doesn't really seem to jive with how the world works. But in faith, in faith we move forward and we do what God has called us to do and we watch and see that it's truly the way to conquer and overcome. Now let me have, have, ask you a question. If you're to look at how the church is doing currently, presently, and we see the situation, it seems like evil is overcoming, right? Evil is winning. It's growing. It seems like there is no forget any victory. We're, we're running for our lives. The next thing you know, we're starting to contemplate and wonder what it's going to be like if we speak up and, and say the truth. The next thing you know, we find ourselves in jail. We're starting to go there, it seems like. There, there's coming a day that if even if from this pulpit I mention the, the word homosexuality and I call it a sin as the Bible does, that I could find myself in serious trouble. We, can you not see the trajectory? And yet by looking at that, what is our conclusion? What ought we to do? We, we realize we're in, a, we're in a battle, we're in a fight, but often our reaction is wrong. We start fighting like the world fights. But as we see, we, need to, we have got to battle in the way the Lord has called us to battle and know that the victory is the Lord's and it will come. Jesus has promised it. And whenever the church has sacrificed itself and given of itself and loved its neighbors like this and reached out and loved, it has conquered. But there's more that the church needs to do. There's also another component to this because it isn't just that one component. It isn't just that we go out and love the lost in the world and seek to bless them and do them good. There's another component here. We need to be also building up one another in love so that we'll be strengthened and healthy for the battle. As he begins here, I kind of inverted this and started with the last first, and now I'm going to go back up to the beginning. He says in verse 9, let, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Here, Paul has exhorting them, the church, to conduct itself, how it's to conduct itself toward one another, so that the church would be strengthened, the church would be built up, the church would be nourished, and so that we would be healthy. And he's not just saying this out of thin air. He is saying this with an incredible context. If you look at Romans chapter 12, you know what's significant about it? What's happened for 11 chapters? He's taken 11 chapters to show the astounding goodness and grace of God in Christ Jesus. How much God has loved you. 11 chapters of just laying it out clearly detailing how it is God has loved sinners. And then look, what he, if you bump up, if you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, this is what he says. The grand conclusion, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. You know, I like how the New King James translated it. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. It says, in view of God's mercy. 
the idea here is in view of God's mercy and how it is, what it is he's done for you and how it is he's treated you. He says, I appeal to you, this is what you're to do. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What's our response? You have been overwhelmed with grace and love. You are now to take yourself and offer up yourself to your Lord. Out of, out of the view of his mercy, as a, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Offering yourself up as a living sacrifice. And now, just down a few verses, this is where he's getting into this. How do we do that? Well, if you look at verses 3 through 8, what is he doing there? He's saying God has also poured out gifts amongst the church and so that you're to minister to one another and build one another up. And he goes on in verse 9, let love be genuine. And now he's telling us how to live amongst one another and how it is that we're, we're going to be strong for the battle, for the fight. We can't live without each other. He gives specific details in, in some cases about what it is we're to do. Especially in verse 13, which says, contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Be careful to take care of one another. If you're going to be healthy and strong in the faith, you need the ministry and love of the saints. There's no way to, there's no way to do it. You know, it's a lot like eating. The best way to think about your health spiritually is to think about your health physically and its connection to food. If you don't eat, let's say you just stop eating right now. By tomorrow and the next day, your, what happens to your strength? It starts to go down, doesn't it? Your strength begins to wane. And if you continue to go without food, you're wavering. You might f- fall over. Next thing, you're dying. If, you, if, it, if we keep it going, you're dead before long. If you don't have food to sustain you, you're going to die. On the other hand, let's just say you're a junk food addict. You just love to pound the junk food. Well, if you don't give your body good food, well, you can go for quite a while, but you're going to create systemic problems. Down the road, you're going to have issues. You're going to have problems in the body. It's going to be starting to shut down. And, and the reason is, well, you can't live a healthy and strong life feeding yourself junk food. You might live for a while, but you can't live a long time. In the same way, when it comes to, the, to our lives spiritually, do you realize it's not like we can't think of it as somehow here's spiritual life. And spiritual life is sustained just somehow magically, like it just is. No, there's means by which God uses, they call them means of grace, that God uses to strengthen us, nourish us, and build us up. And, and, and we, we're probably fairly familiar with the means of grace. You've heard that term before, right? I've used it several times. The Word of God, prayer, that koinonia, that fellowship that I've spent some time talking about before, the breaking of bread, and ministry. These these are means of grace. And so if they're not absent in our lives or they're low in our lives, and you I want to ask you, how are you doing spiritually? Well, it depends. It depends how you're eating. It depends how you're being fed. We can have everywhere from healthy to anemic. We can have strong, diseased. 
someone needs, uh, you know, if they don't get a transplant soon, they're, they're toast kind of situation. People who are just vibrant and healthy. It's not a mystery what it is, but it, ta- it, takes, it takes us nourishing and strengthening us, the inward man so that we might be strong. And so one of the factors for us being strong in the battle and even us advancing the kingdom of God, it's going to require soldiers who are well-fed, who are strong, who are doing well. If you're dying on the vine, so to speak, you're in serious need of some nutrition. Serious need. And so often, here's the God designed it this way. We often think of this independently. Well, I need to go home, I need to open my Bible, and I need to read the Word, and I need to pray, and this is how we think about it. But God didn't design it that way. He designed it so that we need actually one another. I don't do so well. If I'm disconnected from you guys, and if I'm not encouraged, if I'm not built up, if I'm not strengthened, if I'm not helped, if I'm not blessed in some way, I shrivel up and die. I need you. You need me. We need one another. I, you know, have you ever noticed that sometimes the simplest thing has such a dramatic impact on your life? This, this is profound to me often. It's usually not the times when someone even intends it. They make some side comment. And that side comment sticks with me all day long. It's just like this profound life changer. And they had no idea. They're just making some comment. They, were just, they just said something. And I can't get it out of my mind. And it, just, it, it ends up changing my life. And what they did is they just shared something. They just shared a portion of their life. You know, we we have got to understand this absolute need of one another, because if we don't, we find ourselves just coming here. Do you this this what this ends up? What Sunday can end up like is life support. Barely made, and so you're barely hanging on, and you get you get through the week and come back. You know. And you're wondering why you're just doing so lousy. It's because you've got to get off life support. And you've got to get living. <laughs> and this is going to require us ministering to one another. Us being involved in each other's lives. But that, that's also difficult, and we've talked about that often. But we, we have to do practical things. Think of things that, and get creative. Perhaps we need to pursue one another and just throw a text to each other. Ask how someone's doing. Ask if they, you can pray for them somehow. Find out how, how their work's going. Find out how their family's doing. You know, you know, find out how a person is doing. Ask a question. How are you really doing? And when you know that someone cares enough to ask you how they're doing or how they can pray for you, that, that, that's powerful. It's, it's always affected my life deeply. And you, here's the thing about it. Do not wait for others to come to you. Say, yeah, we need, we need to have this kind of life. We need to have this kind of building up of one another. And I don't know why we're not doing it. Rebuke yourself for that stupid thought. Be the one who makes the call. Be the one who sends the text. Be the one who takes initiative because you know what will happen? It fires back on you. If you do it, it encourages the other person. It spurs on the other person. And don't be surprised if it starts coming back at you. 
I've noticed the people who get the most encouragement, the people who have the most involvement of others in their lives are the people who are most involved in others' lives. It's very important for us to understand that it won't happen if you sit and wait for it to happen. It will happen when you take initiative, when you take the step forward, when you pick up the phone, when you send the text, when you send the email, when you, when you take initiative in some way. Take initiative. And then you'll be, su- be surprised how much it comes back to you. Don't wait for it to happen because it never will. And this is it, us building up one another. This is our life, our strength so that we might engage in the battle. Life and the battle out there can get wearisome, can it not? Have you been tired? Have you been exhausted? Have you been at the end of your rope? I know you have. I have. (laughs) I need help. I need strength. I need encouragement. So do you. We all need it. And there's no way we're going to engage in the battle, and there's no way we're going to really see the kingdom of God advance and us do well without it. Lastly, I want to say something that's not in the text here this morning, but it's vitally connected. When it comes to us conquering, when it comes to us overcoming evil, when it comes to the desolation of Smaug and us pushing back the borders of hell and advancing the kingdom of God, there's another important aspect that as a church, we need to be committed to. We need to be focused on. And that is this, training up leaders so that we can multiply ministry. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see him reaching out in love to the world around him. We see him building up and teaching the disciples and all those who would follow him. Yet what we see him devoting a large portion of his time to is what? Twelve guys that we call the apostles. To train them up. And what does he do at the end of his ministry? But he hands the baton onto them and he says, Now you go and do likewise. Go and disciple the nations. We train. And this is what we see in the life of Paul. Paul, right away, he doesn't do anything without his entourage around him. He brings guys and he brings them around him and he's training and developing them as leaders so that, so that they'll go do likewise. Think of Timothy, think of Titus, uh, think of Tychicus, Onesimus, some of the other guys that were with him. And Paul always had his entourage of men because he was training and developing men. And we clearly see his commitment to this and his understanding of it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, when he says this. He's at the end of his days and he's commissioning Timothy. And he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Entrust to faithful men who will what? Who will be able to teach others also. This is how Jesus did it. This is how Paul did it. This is how Timothy did it. And this is how they continued to do it. As it has been said before, everything rises and falls on leadership. There's no way it's expanding without leadership. Back in the 80s, Jack Welch was the CEO of GE. Famous CEO, right? Famous for what he did for GE. But you know, one of the greatest things he was committed to was the development of leaders. And so he started a training school and he implemented all kinds of programs for developing leaders because he knew, realized the necessity of that. 
It was, wasn't long after, several, after a few years that, he be, that GE became known as this leadership factory. Just was producing tons of leaders. And then you get into the 90s, and so many of the, the corporate CEOs were coming from, guess where? GE. It had an over an abundance. It was overflowing with these leaders. And so many of the CEOs eventually in these other companies were coming from GE. That's how impressive they were in their development of leaders. And they realized that it brings health and it allows them to expand. Developing leaders has to be a priority because it allows the mission to expand. And so it needs to be a focus. It needs to be a priority. And all of these things, training of leaders, the building up of the body, and the reaching out of the lost around us in our, our community. These are the areas that must be focused on, given priority to, and we can't lose focus. You know, it's easy to get sidetracked, isn't it? Even right now, it's so easy. In the, we're looking at a new space, a new building, and get so caught up. There's so many things to do, and there's so much going on, especially for, for me, you know, trying to juggle all these details. You can get completely sidetracked and forget what it is. What, what are we about anyways? <laughs> Certainly not about color on the walls, but why am I so about color on the walls right now? Because that, for a moment, it, it needs the focus. It needs the attention. But we can, we can lose perspective, and we don't understand how it all fits in. But we have to keep a laser focus. And if we're going to have, see a year of expansion, God's kingdom growing and advancing, if the, you know, the desolation of smog in our city, what's it going to require? What's it going to take? We have to focus on the fundamentals. The fundamentals. And what are they? Reaching out to lost in love, building one another up in the, in the faith, and training leaders to go and multiply the ministry. These are the fundamentals. And as they say, fundamentals are always fundamental. And necessary. I remember I coached basketball for one year, telling the, telling the boys, you know, we just focus on the fundamentals. And they always, you always wonder why you're focusing on these basics, fundamentals, just focus on them. So you talk to them about it. And so, okay, let me ask you a question. If you can dribble better than anybody else, you can shoot better than anybody else, you can pass better than anybody else, and you can outrun and, and outlast anybody else, guess what? You're better than anybody else. That's how it works. You can really, in so many things in life, it's the fundamentals. It comes down to the fundamentals. And if you can do them well, you can execute well. The same goes for the church. If the church, it's easy also to lose our focus and get caught up in X's and O's, like you do in sports often. But you realize that it's really got to stay focused on the fundamentals and what it is we're about and then we make actually good progress because it really is about the fundamentals. But it's so easy to get diverted. So this, will, this needs to be our focus this year. We need to have a laser focus on what it is we're called to be and do and not get caught up in all the distractions. And, and when we do, hopefully be reminded and we come back say, hey, let's focus on the fundamentals. We know that if we are going to advance God's kingdom in the earth, we have got to be making disciples. And we do that 
and we'll overcome evil, and we'll advance the borders by reaching out to the lost and loved, by building one another up in the faith, and by training leaders. That's what we need to be committed to. Amen. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for what you've called us to be, called us to do. We beg of you that you grant us grace. That we truly would have a heart to see your kingdom come so that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we would pray it daily, that we would desire it. And in this, we would focus on the fundamentals just as you've called us to. That we truly would have a heart for the lost and those in the world, that we would have a love for one another, what we build up and strengthen one another, and that we'd be committed to training leaders to multiply the ministry. Help us in this, we ask in Christ. Amen.